Jonathan, thank you for that song. That was wonderful. I appreciate that. Thank you. That's one of those newer songs that came out, and I could say newer in terms of the history of the church that I think is going to turn into a classic song, and it's just got beautiful lyrics to it and a wonderful message. Hey, we want to take a moment before we start uh, into our message here today and just give a big welcome to all those who join us at this time. For those of you in our Marina campus, our Padre campus, all those online that are joining us, and also the prisoners that join us each and every week at these uh, Soledad State Prison. Uh, we just received a letter, again, from one of the prisoners this week, telling them what an encouragement these services are to them. And so thank you guys for watching, and uh, let's give everybody a big welcome. Can we do that? We, we hope these messages are continuing to be encouraging to you as you go through uh, the process that you're going through. But today I want to talk to all of us about a very powerful topic, and that is the topic of forgiveness. It's something that none of us are immune to. We all run into this each and every day, it seems like, because we're dealing with human beings. And human beings have a tendency to ruffle each other's feathers, don't we? And so today I think this message will be very practical. I want to introduce you to a study on this topic in the third shortest book of the Bible. And yet I believe, as I just said, it carries with it the biggest message known to mankind. And that is this message of forgiveness. And like it or not, what we're going to discover today is that God actually commands us to forgive. Did you know that? It's not an option. God tells us that we are required to forgive. But it brings up a couple of questions if I'm required to do something. What if I don't want to forgive? What if I don't have the strength to forgive? I just can't do it. Well, I've got good news for all of us that will help us on our journey. But first, how did we get this letter, uh, Philemon, that we're going to be talking about here today? Well, here's a little background story. While in a Roman jail, the Apostle Paul wrote a personal message, a letter to a friend named Philemon. And he wrote this letter as a plea of forgiveness for a new friend named Onesimus. Here was the problem. This new friend, Onesimus, was a former slave of his old friend Philemon. Now the letter is only 25 verses in total, only 335 words in the original Greek. In fact, this letter is so short that if I were to deliver the entire letter to you word for word by voice, it would take me just under three minutes to recite the letter. But there's a powerful thing that happened. So what happened in this story? Well, Onesimus, after fleeing his master Philemon in Colossae, he bolted to Rome, where he became a Christian because of the Apostle Paul, as Paul sat in this Roman jail cell. Paul decided to send Philemon back with this letter that bears Philemon's name. And in it, he asks Philemon to receive Onesimus as a faithful and beloved brother. And Paul actually offers to pay Philemon anything Onesimus had taken and also offered to accept any of the wrong that Onesimus had done. Wow. So the story of a fugitive, a Colossian slave, I believe is a beautiful illustration of Paul's character and the transforming power of the gospel and the strength of forgiveness. And this brings up an important question to us, though. If forgiveness is such an amazing thing and it's so powerful, why do we fight so hard to do so? This command to forgive, we fight against it. And there could be a lot of reasons as to why we do that. Uh, I think maybe one of the reasons is, as Americans, we just don't like being told what to do. Isn't that true? We have a myriad of opinions regarding everything in our world today. We scarcely agree on anything anymore. 
31 flavors of ice cream as you walk into Baskin Robbins. You've got 300 channels on TV if you want. You've got over 3,000 unique destinations for vacation choices. A multiplicity of opinions rule the day. We don't agree on politics. We don't agree on sports teams. We don't agree on style of music, entertainment, vaccines or viruses. And in some cases, people have a hard time even agreeing on theology, which should be simple to agree on. But I did discover this. If there is one thing that we have almost universal agreement on, one thing that we can always find common ground, it is this. We strongly dislike anyone telling us what to do. Isn't that true? We just don't like it. So whether it's a command or a rule or an order or a law, as human beings, we tend to wrestle against orders from other people. But here's the question for us to consider today. What do you do when it's a decree or it's an order or a command from God? And it's found in the Bible. What do we do with that? That's going to be the challenge we find in this little letter from Paul to Philemon. Now, most of us here today know that we are free to forgive because of what Christ has accomplished for us. But did you know, as I asked earlier, that we are actually commanded to forgive as well? And if so, that brings some implications. How would that shape our response to those who have wronged us? How would we then handle the person who has deeply hurt us? There's some big implications here, and that's what we're going to look at today. So today we're going to look at three aspects concerning the command to forgive and why forgiveness is so powerful. And the first aspect we see is that forgiveness is deeply personal. It's deeply personal. So you can write that in your notes. And we'll start here in Philemon verse 4 through 7. Paul again writing to his friend Philemon. I thank my God always when I remember you, Philemon, in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Did you notice what Paul's doing here in these opening thoughts? He's personalizing the connection between himself and Philemon, fellow Christians, and the Lord. He wants Philemon, his brother in Christ, to know that he is thankful for him and that he is ultimately grateful for his leadership in the local body of the city of Colossae. Historians tell us that Philemon was most likely the leader of the house church in the city of Colossae. But you see, Paul is a ministry veteran at this point. And so what he's doing is very important when we talk about this topic of forgiveness. This letter was written somewhere around 60 to 62 AD. And we know historically that Paul now has been a Christian for over 25 years. And he's a ministry veteran. He's traveled extensively. He's been trained by the sharpest philosophical and theological minds of his days. He's evangelized the masses in secularized cities. And he stirred the souls in the synagogues of the people of faith from the Jewish faith. He's expressed the reality of once passionate followers of Christ turning and and walking away. He's experienced it. He's felt the sting of false teachers. He's been burned by hateful motives and those who create a multitudes of trouble behind him in the cities in which he traveled. And yet through all of these battles, 
all of these struggles, all of these travels, all of these teachings, there's one thing that Paul hangs on to. One thing Paul knows for sure. And we find this in Hebrews chapter 12. I see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. See to that. And that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. You see, there's, that's the point here. Forgiveness and bitterness are both roots that spring up within the heart of a person. And so when Paul writes five positive comments in verses four through seven, it's as if he's telling his friend Philemon, hey brother, I'm proud of you. Look at your history. Look what you've been doing spiritually. Let's keep bearing that type of good fruit. And let's not let a root of bitterness spring up and spoil all this. Because the kind of fruit you've been bearing, that's the kind of fruit that transforms lives. That's the kind of fruit that transforms a family. That's the kind of fruit that allows you to leave a legacy of Jesus Christ in your personal and in your family and in your community and in your business. That's what we want to focus on. In fact, let's go back and look at it. Look how Paul felt about his friend Philemon with these five comments that he gave in four verses. You can underline these in your notes. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you. The next one. He says, I hear of your love that you have toward the Lord and for all the saints. What's the next thing? I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. I like that one. He says, I derive much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. That personal connection. And he says, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. In four verses, he gives these five positive comments. Why? I think it's because when it comes time for the issue of forgiveness to be discussed in the next couple verses, Paul wants his friend to remember who he is. And he wants him to remember the personal cost that bitterness or unforgiveness will abstract from his life. Why? Because make no mistake about it, unforgiveness and resentment can extract a tremendous toll upon your life. Let me say that again. Unforgiveness and resentment can extract a tremendous toll upon a person's life. And it's not only spiritually, it's also physically. In fact, don't take my word for it. In my research, I came across an article in 2015, according to a man named Dr. Stephen Standiford. He's the chief of surgery at the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. And discussing this topic of people refusing to forgive, he says it makes people sick and it keeps them that way. He commented further by saying, it's important to treat emotional wounds or disorders because they really can hinder someone's reaction to the treatments, even someone's willingness to pursue treatment. And he went on in the article to say with that in mind, forgiveness therapy is now being used to help treat multiple diseases, including cancer. Did you know that? That's how important this topic is. It's incredibly personal. You see, when we choose not to forgive, it only hurts us in the long run. Isn't that true? You know, I heard a story this week that I just had to share with you because I thought we need a little brevity at this point. A little boy was sitting on a park bench in obvious pain with his face all squished up. An older man walked by and asked him what was wrong. And the young boy said, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. And the man urgently asked him, then why don't you get up? Well, with his face all squinched close, he said, because I figure I'm hurting him more than he's hurting me. <laughs> Isn't that true? As funny as it sounds, we do that sometimes. We think we're hurting 
the one who stung us. Yet all the while, by refusing to stand, we're only hurting ourselves in the long run. So the first lesson we learn about the command to forgive is that it's personal. Next, we learn that forgiveness is a divine principle. Second point, a divine principle. We pick this up here in verse 8. Paul says, accordingly now to Philemon, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Go ahead and underline that in your notes. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Hmm, interesting. Can you hear this two-part tension in Paul's voice? You see, as the apostle of Christ, the spiritual leader, he has the authority to command Philemon to do what is required, and that is to offer forgiveness. To forgive Onesimus of his wrongdoing and to reinstate him to the wholeness within the church family. But Paul doesn't do that. Instead, what Paul does, I love the way he tackles this. He appeals to Philemon to do the right thing for what reason? For the sake of love. Love for who? Love for his brother, Onesimus now, who's a Christian, and for Christ. Love for your brother and love for Christ. What does that teach us? It teaches us, I think, the following. That forgiveness is a principle from God. It's not a power move to control other people. Forgiveness is a principle from God. It's not a power move for us to control others. You see, in this short verse, we see a requirement to forgive those who have wronged us. Now, some people, when we've taught this before, they'll say, well, this was just Paul's view. And so thinking through that, well, what else does the Bible teach us? So I went into the scripture and I found some other passages that teach us the importance of forgiving. And what I'm going to do is set it up in a question-answer type format. So let's take a look at four questions to build out this divine principle of being commanded to forgive, and we're only going to use Jesus in the gospel who gave us the answers. How's that sound? Let's see what Jesus has to say about how we should forgive and who and all of that. So here's question number one. Who and what should we forgive? Who and what should we forgive? When Jesus gave instructions about praying, he gave us a little indication here in Mark chapter 11, verse 25. Here's what he wrote or said. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father who also is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So did you catch that from Jesus? Anything against anyone. I wrote in my notes, that's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? (laughs) There's no wiggle room in that statement. What's included in this word anything? So I look that up, right? And it means exactly what you think it means. Anything. (laughs) That's what it means. The same is true with the word anyone. Who's included? Anyone. And whenever I bump across a verse like this, sometimes I want to look up in heaven and I want to say, God, are you serious? And God's looking down saying, yeah, I'm serious. Anything, anyone. But let me just say this before I move on, because I want to cover this point. When the Bible tells us that we should forgive anyone of anything, that means you can forgive them. It doesn't mean, though, that you are required to stay in a relationship with that person. Everybody give me a head nod if you know what I'm talking about. It's okay in certain cases to forgive somebody and keep your distance from that person so they don't hurt you again. You get what I'm saying? Okay, so it's okay to do that. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you have to jump back in to that toxic relationship, okay? So you can keep your distance. In fact, Somebody pointed this out in the first service. When Philemon forgave Onesimus, he actually sent him back to Paul in Rome. Now, we don't know why he did that. We know he released him back, 
But we do know that at some point, that relationship, that offense was forgiven, but they did have their distance at that point. Does that make sense? So that's one of the things we need to keep in mind. Who and what should we forgive? Here's the second question. How often should we forgive? This is always a good one. I like this one. So Peter was talking to his disciples, or Jesus was talking to his disciples about forgiveness, and the topic of how long we should forgive someone or how often came up. And the apostle Peter, because he's really bold and outgoing and boisterous, he came up to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? In other words, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? As many as seven times? Now, you got to understand the context here. According to rabbinic law at the time, you were only required to forgive someone three times. Okay, so Peter, being clever, he's like, Lord, how many times? <laughs> you can see him in his mind. He's thinking four, I'm going to say seven. That's twice the three and add one more. So, Lord, seven times? And Jesus responds to him and says, no. I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. And because Peter was a fisherman, he probably looked very perplexed and looked over at Matthew, the tax collector, and said, Matthew, what number is that? <laughs> Matthew said, Peter, that's 490 times. 490 times? See, Peter thought he was being generous by offering to forgive his brother up to seven times. And Jesus took his answer and he multiplied it 70 times, that number. What is he saying to us? Forgiveness isn't an addition type of thing where we count out each infraction committed against us. No, what was Jesus teaching us? Jesus is teaching his disciples that forgiveness is a multiplication type of thing where we practice the art of forgiveness in an exponential way. We just continue to forgive. Question number three, why should we forgive? Here's a good one. Why should we forgive? Lean over to your neighbor and say, this is where the pastor's gonna get really good in the sermon, all right? This is the part you came for right here. This is the moment. Why should we forgive? I've been waiting to share this with you all week. Jesus said to his father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. Now that's the text, but I want to give you the context of what's happening here. You see, at this moment when Jesus said these words, he literally was hanging upon the cross. Some of you know that in your Bible stories, you remember this. He was literally hanging between heaven and earth on a wooden cross. And he could see all the reactions of everybody that was crucifying him in that moment. Think about that for a minute. He could see the reactions, just like I can see all of your reactions right here. I'm up here, I can see everything. That was Jesus hanging on a cross, looking at everything, observing them. And so I think Jesus knows a thing or two, a thing or two about what it means to be wounded. I think Jesus knows a thing or two about what it feels like to be rejected. I think he understands what it means to be beaten, despised, mocked, hated. And yet he knows how to handle it. That's the point here. He knows how to handle it. Look how he did it. Luke 23, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. As they cast lots to divide his clothes. So the idea here is very simple to understand conceptually, intellectually, I get it. But I have to tell you, friend, it's profoundly difficult to live out. And I know I'm not the only one that struggles with this. In the very midst of the mockery, as they gambled for his clothing, under incredible pressure and excruciating pain, Jesus provides for us the most powerful example of forgiveness 
and the reason behind it. And it's based in part on this idea that at the core level, most of us, when we are acting in a way that hurts another person, we really don't know what we're doing. That's what Jesus is saying here. They don't know what they're doing. I've heard it once said that hurt people hurt people. You probably all heard that as well. You see, if we were to strip away all of our human bravado, all of the bluster, all of the ego and the facade and the failures to our image that we work so hard to build up, people have to see us a certain way. If you were to strip all that away at the base level, at the deepest core of every person in this room, and everybody watching online today, we all know we're broken. We all know we are in desperate need of a savior. And that's what Jesus understood on the cross. And so what Jesus modeled for us here is that when people hurt us, he knows and understands us at our core. And as his followers, we are challenged to imitate this same understanding. As mentioned a few minutes ago though, it's very simple to understand this in our head, but I have to tell you it's very profoundly difficult to carry out on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's why you and I need his grace to do so. And so we rest on him to help us. Okay, we now know who and what and how often to forgive and why to forgive. So what's the fourth question? What's the result when we forgive? What's the result? Well, in Luke chapter 6, we find Jesus talking to his disciples and we find this tiny yet extremely huge statement on this topic of forgiveness. We read it in Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Forgive, and it will be forgiven. Forgive, and it will be forgiven. What's Jesus getting at here? Let me tell you a quick story. A man went into a shop of a gold merchant to buy a bar of gold. And the merchant pulled out a bar of gold, and he said, Sir, you go ahead and measure the bar and tell me how many inches it is. That way we can agree on the price. So the man pulled out a ruler out of his pocket and he said, the bar of gold is five inches in length. Very well, said the merchant. That'll be $500,000 for the bar of gold. Yet the man knew that he had shorted the merchant by using a false ruler. It was a ruler designed to make an object shorter than it really appears. But the man was happy because he added the bar of gold to his collection and he made $200,000 on the merchant. Well, unfortunately, a few months later, this man ran into difficult times and his business failed. He was forced to sell all of his assets to save his family. And in an act of desperation, he took all of his gold bars to the merchant in order to pay his debts. And he laid all 10 bars of gold, each measuring seven full inches in length. And he knew he would have enough money to pay off all of his debts. All but the merchant showed up. And he said, let's go ahead and use that ruler again to measure those bars of gold. And I'll pay you whatever measurement your ruler says. Well, the man was devastated because even though he knew each bar was seven inches, his ruler would only show it to be five. Hmm. You see, friend, when we shortchange forgiveness to others, forgiveness will be shortchanged to us. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. In fact, in verse 38 of Luke chapter 6, the next verse, Jesus goes on to say this. For with the measure you use in forgiveness, it will be measured back to you. 
So what's the encouragement to us? Friend, be generous in your forgiveness. Be generous. As God has been generous to you, be generous to others. You don't have to inflate your forgiveness, but yet don't limit or hold back anything but full forgiveness when you've been wronged because that's where you'll find true freedom and you'll let go of that resentment and no root of bitterness will grow up inside of you. And that's what the Bible's teaching us here today. Okay, so, so far we have discovered that forgiveness is personal, deeply personal, and now we've discovered it's a divine principle. The third and most powerful aspect of understanding the command to forgive is that forgiveness is a delightful pedigree, a delightful pedigree. Paul continues here in verse nine, and he says, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So there's something here that Paul's trying to pass on to the next generation. There's a pedigree, an inheritance he's trying to get across here to his friend Philemon. You know, on May 6th, on the year 2000, over 150,000 people in attendance, horse lovers around the world witnessed the most expensive horse in the world win the 126th running of the Kentucky Derby. And according to the Los Angeles Times, for the sum of $70 million, the horse named Fusachi Pegasus was then purchased by an Irish billionaire within weeks of winning that distinguished race. This amount eclipsed a previous record of $30 million some 20 years earlier. But it brings up a question. Why would someone spend $70 million to purchase a horse who had won the Kentucky Derby? Well, the answer can be found in this word pedigree, lineage. You see, pedigree is connected to the idea of lineage, inheritance, genealogy, heritage. From a biological standpoint, experts tell us that we inherit, right, specific traits from our parents. Things like our eye color, uh, our hair color, our height, blood type. Those are referred to as inherited traits. Yet things like language, the way we speak, or the length of our hair, or our sense of humor, those are referred to as acquired traits. Traits we picked up based on our interactions with the world. The $70 million spent by the Irish billionaire in the hope that the inherited trait of speed would be passed on to his offspring of the horse, Pegasus. Well, unfortunately for this billionaire, the owner of Pegasus, he never came close to receiving back his record-breaking investment. But that's not my point. It wasn't so with Paul. It was the exact opposite. Because history tells us there was quite a spiritual payoff for his record-breaking investment in Onesimus. But first, let me set the stage for this connection. You see, according to the text in verse 10, we see Paul must have led Onesimus to the Lord while he was in the Roman jail captivity. Because he writes, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in imprisonment. When Paul uses this statement, uh, uh, becoming Onesimus' father, we know he doesn't mean that in a literal way. He means it in a spiritual way. And when Paul was making his appeal to Philemon, he's letting Philemon know this isn't just some uh, ordinary appeal. This is a special appeal because Onesimus is now part of the family of God. And Paul is acting in his role of a spiritual father. And Paul understands something about spiritual pedigree, spiritual lineage that he hopes to communicate with his Colossian friend. And here's the point. Just as people develop inherited or acquired traits from a physical perspective, we also develop spiritual traits that we pick up from each other. 
traits such as forgiveness and leadership and servanthood and unity. And where do we learn these traits from? Usually from our leaders, from our teachers, from our boss, from our business owners, from our parents. That's what Paul's getting at here. Meaning that if you're a parent or in some type of Christian leadership, people are looking to you and I for guidance on how to live out the Christian experience. How do we live this thing out? Parents and leadership carry influence by the nature of those roles. And so the encouragement to us is to influence those we're accountable for in a way that is beneficial and honoring to the Lord. And the way we do that is the way we handle this topic of forgiveness. That's what Paul's getting at here. And when we do, we will build a delightful pedigree, for sure, in our families. So what happened to Onesimus? What was the end of this whole thing? Well, we're not 100% sure historically what happened, but we're pretty close to know what happened. You see, we have some old letters from some church fathers that lived just after the apostles, and they gave us some information on this guy named Onesimus. History seems to indicate that through the letters of St. Ignatius of Antioch and other church fathers that Philemon ended up taking Paul's advice and he forgave Onesimus. Philemon ultimately granted freedom and encouraged Onesimus to return to Paul. That's indicated in verse 21. In fact, 50 years following this series of events in 60 AD, we catch up to Onesimus as he is mentioned in a letter to the church in Ephesus. And he is now mentioned as a bishop to that congregation. Isn't that amazing? From a slave to a bishop, what a journey. And so what's the lesson here for you and I? I think Paul's lesson is simple. Forgiveness not only frees us from the bondage of resentment, but it also has the potential of releasing those we forgive into all that God has them. Imagine if Philemon would not have forgiven Onesimus. That could have been a different story. We have the ability to release those. So let's wrap this up. We began this chapter by looking at this compelling story of Onesimus and Philemon. And we learned that Paul, as a spiritual leader, could have demanded Philemon to forgive his brother. But instead of demanding, Paul encouraged Philemon to understand and receive the benefits of freely forgiving one who's wronged him. We also discovered that forgiveness is powerful because it's deeply personal. It's embedded in a divine principle and it carries what we just learned, a delightful pedigree. And we also tackled four tough questions today concerning forgiveness based on other passages of scripture and the words of Jesus. Questions such as who and what should we forgive? How often should we forgive? What and why we should forgive? And what's the result when we forgive? So if you're a Christian here today and you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, this gives you something to work on this week. One of the questions we like to ask ourselves is, what's my takeaway? What can I work on this week? And so as you go this week and you intersect with people, either rest assured you will get offended sometime this next week, or maybe you're carrying one that's happened either this week or prior. But go to the Lord with that and ask what that means for you to forgive that person. And again, I can't stress enough, it doesn't always mean you have to bounce back into the connection with that person. Does that make sense? You just forgive them and let them go, and that's okay to do that, okay? But this is a great takeaway for each one of us. But if you're not a Christian here today, if you've never received Jesus Christ, you've never received the full forgiveness from Christ upon the cross, then it's going to be next to impossible for you to put this powerful principle of forgiveness in place in your life because we don't have that deep enough well to draw from it. 
Let me finish with this story. There's a story told about Abraham Lincoln who went to a slave auction one day, and he was appalled at what he saw. He was drawn to a young woman on the auction block, and as the bidding began, Lincoln bid until he purchased her no matter the cost. After he paid the auctioneer, he walked over to the woman and he said, you're free. Free? What's that supposed to mean, she asked. It means you're free, Lincoln answered, completely free. Does that mean I can do whatever I want to do? Yes, he said, free to do whatever you want to do. Free to say whatever I want to say? Yes, you're free to say whatever you want to say. Does freedom mean, asking with hope and in hesitation, that I can go wherever I want to go? It means exactly that you can go wherever you want to go. And with tears of joy and gratitude welling up in her eyes, she said, then I think I'll go with you. You see, friend, if you've given your heart over to Jesus Christ, then you know what this story is saying. And that's why we follow Jesus, because he has set us free. And if you have yet to experience the freedom that Christ can give you, I want to encourage you to do that today. You can do that right now. You know, Jesus told us in John chapter 8, verse 36, if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. And in order for us to really learn and understand this concept of forgiveness, we come to Christ first and he sets us free so that we can be free to forgive others. And I want to encourage you to do that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we take a moment now at the end of our message and we thank you for the opportunity to engage in your word that we do every Sunday here at Compass. And we do that because we know that your word has the power to transform our lives. It's nothing a pastor says or a preacher declares. It's always your word and your spirit that is intersecting with that word in somebody's heart and life as they're in the room or they're watching at one of our campuses or online. And so, Lord, today, as we've intersected with your word, I know that there are hundreds of us uh, who are followers of yours, that we have people in our life that we've got something going on. And there's probably a bunch of us that need to really consider strongly what this means to forgive somebody and to let it go and to not allow a root of bitterness to well up within us, to spoil what you're trying to do in our hearts. And so with that, this week, help us as we get back into your word and our quiet time and all of that. Be with us and help us to learn how to do that and let go. But Lord, I want to pray for those who are in this room today that maybe have never given their life over to you. They have not crossed over the line to say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers me. That he paid my sin upon the cross. I want to receive that forgiveness today. In fact, if you're here this morning, you've never done that. You've never prayed to give your life over to Christ or invite him into your life. I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. Right where you sit in the quietness of this moment, just pray this prayer in your heart. Dear Jesus, I come before you this morning and I receive you into my life. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow you. Please forgive me of all the things I have done. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for bringing me to this church this morning. And today, Lord, I give my life over to you. I want to follow you. And Father, wherever that prayer was prayed, whether in this room or online, I know now the power of the Holy Spirit is filling their hearts. 
to know that they have become a child of God. And help us, God, as a church to come alongside and join them on this journey. And we thank you for it now in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, listen to me. If you prayed that prayer this morning to receive Jesus Christ into your life and to cross over the line to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, I am so excited for you. So we have some special things for you. Right out this door here, there's an area called Next Steps. So just head out that direction. We have some great volunteers out there. We'll get you a Bible. We'll get you connected. Uh, in fact, there were so many people that responded last week, I think they ran out of Bibles. So, um, but I think we got some new ones, right? So isn't that great? So head out that direction, and uh, we're going to get you started in your relationship with the Lord. Now come up and see me at the end of the service as well. I'd love to meet you. But God bless you on your new journey with Jesus Christ. We're excited for you. Hey, let's do this. Let's all stand. We're going to do our benediction, and I'm going to do something a little different. I need you to help me with the benediction today. So I remember as a kid, I remember singing the doxology every now and then. Do you all remember that? And I thought since it was communion Sunday, why don't we be dismissed by singing the doxology together? But the Lord didn't give me a singing voice, so I'm going to have Miss Denise help us. So why don't you come up, Denise, and help us and lead us a cappella in the doxology today for a benediction. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen, Compass. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you guys.